this is a hopefully a short conversation that i'll be having with shankara bharadwaj who is uh, who according to me is is essentially uh, a scriptural scholar uh, and as part time he he has got some other profession that he practices to put bread on the table uh, but his primary personality is is one of a scholar so when we gather information there is always this question mark over how authentic or not the sources regardless of the motivations of the person may have really made a genuine attempt uh, at appreciating what's there in the scriptures and one of the problems i sense is also that we have so many scriptures like valmiki ramayana so this particular one was the difference between valmiki ramayana and tulsidas ramayana and i do realize that when they made the video they don't recognize that there are actually many forms of valmiki ramayana or many versions of valmiki ramayana uh, tulsidas maybe just one i don't know if there are any more but it seemed like that was one and so therefore what took me by surprise were some things that i thought were uh, were fairly common and accepted uh, and the first one that took me by surprise was the he says that in the valmiki ramayana uh, that ravana gets killed with one chest shot uh, by an arrow uh, when as he says that the tulsidas ramayana is the one where the whole the life elixir is in the navel vibhishna squeals on him and betrays him and therefore rama takes the opportunity and shoots him in the navel right always my understanding was that it was a navel uh, shot and it was not just a chest shot but i thought i was surprised therefore by the narrative so i thought maybe something like that uh, valmiki uh, version is that uh, or the <laughs> version the original is that uh, uh, before this duel between rama and uh, ravana this uh, or when it is just about to begin indra sends his chariot along with the uh, divine chariot matali and then uh, as the battle progresses towards the end matali actually says suggest that uh, now ravana is sufficiently tired to apply the brahmastra and he will die then rama applies uh, he shoots it in the chest and then he dies oh so that is it is genuinely so it is, a shot yes uh genuinely i didn't but genuinely a uh, arrow that goes through the chest yes yes yes, yes. it's a proper killing mm-hmm. as a duel progresses you the brahmastra is there and then. so this amrita banda all that is definitely but that is quite famous uh, and popular not just in manas but uh, many other regions also okay even folk versions also other folk versions also it's there okay okay so, so differences but do you see these as differences or uh, that's the main question so i'll tell you what why this stood out for me because there is this whole narrative about vibhishna being a traitor uh, and him sort of and, and how vibhishna is looked at in the modern indian context i mean one one reality is nobody names their sons vibhishna uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so that's that's that whereas he is one no. of the children jeevis he is seen as somebody who sides with dharma uh, but a modern society looks down upon it so is it but if that narrative is not there in the valmiki ramayana mm-hmm. then we are needlessly sort of so to say crucifying a guy who would otherwise be a follower of dharma uh, in modern society vibhishana yeah but vibhishana his respect is there but there are other aspects to it the loyalty to brotherhood and all those things yeah yeah, yeah. so if you choose your dharma above your brothers then that's yeah. yeah it's always a so comparison between kumbhakarna and vibhishana let us say yeah But it's not as if uh, vibhishana did not cooperate in uh, in terms of okay on the amrita bhanda and all that that is a legend but uh, let us say indrajit is there there are occasions where vibhishan actively in fact he fought on the vanara side so obviously he is going to cooperate on this side and say that right. say what needs to be done right right uh, that would be there and when shukasarana came for instance so whatever vibhishan's role is there positively on the vanara side it is there right right he would be naturally loyal to that side which may which crowned him as king of lanka <laughs> right, right. so which is which is what the interesting bit was for me is that just uh, if you just took the valmiki ramayana how 
even in popular perception, you'll start looking at Vibhishna differently, but you might. Uh, whereas if you look at, if you, if you, if you stay with Tulsidas Ramayana, it's far more easier to condemn him as a traitor. Uh, so, so that was, that was one thing that stood out for me. The other one, and again, not as radical, but uh, was that Hanumana was a Vanara, which is basically more man from the forest and from the forest tribes. Whereas Tulsidasa has him as a monkey. And so, the, the, because the, the, the key thing that changes with that, I mean, in itself is not such a big deal. Uh, but the whole story about how his tail was lit on fire and he burnt down Lanka is. Yeah, but he did burn down Lanka even in Valmiki. Oh, he did. That is there. Obviously, burning down Lanka is there. That is. So, so, so the thing is, when he burns down Lanka, if he has no tail, uh, is there another way that he burns Lanka in Valmiki versus Tulsidasa? Uh, not as far as I recall, Valmiki also, the not having tail is not the thing. Tail oh. would be there. Uh, but yeah, it's possible that we probably just read the things into it. I need to go back. But as far as I recall, the tail thing is not the differentiator. That would still be there. Okay. But there would be differences in the narration and things like that. Right. right. Because, because when you see that he is a man and not a monkey, then the first thing that happens is the tail disappears. And yeah, but Vanara is, I don't know whether uh, you really say Vanara is just okay. a man of the forest or something like that. So therefore, what you are saying is that the interpretation that somebody says that Vanara is a man from the forest and man, a human, not being a monkey is probably not the right way to interpret the Valmiki Ramayana. So Vanara is, yeah, like man only, but is it really man? We don't know because it, I mean, it's not just Hanuman, right? There, there is, uh, there are, uh, there are uh, the Jambukas, not Correct. Jambukas, the Jambavantas, the Correct. The bears Bear. are there. Yeah. The Balukas are there. There are many other forms yeah. also there in the yeah. Vanara army, not just the monkey forms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In that sense, uh, we can't really say they were all men with in the forest or things like that. So there would be more to it, but we just don't know. Right, right, right. No, and in my mind, it was always uh, when we talk about these different tribes, the the bear tribe or the monkey tribe, and there's always this debate: are they man or not man? But there's no way to really know it. But maybe there were some some of them were Neanderthal species or Cro-Magnon species or Denisovian species. And these people were able to communicate. <laughs> yeah, and, and they were able to communicate somehow. So, I mean, who knows? This? Exactly. We, we don't know. And the, all this is going to be, again, I think of what timelines we are talking. Is it really millions of years ago? Right. Is it really just the human history or we don't know all that? Right. Or if it is in fact, I don't know if it is in fact in this dimension of our existence or some other dimension uh, is also a question that sort of keeps coming it up. It could be a mix definitely. There would be definitely a human dimension because Itihasa definitely has a human dimension. It would have an astronomical dimension. It would have the spiritual dimension. All this would be there. Right, right. But are there dimensions we have missed? Yeah. So there, were, there was another comment that they made right in the very beginning. They say that it is the Ramayana is the Adi Kavya. Uh, and Adi Kavya, they say, is the first poem that was written. Um, maybe it was the Adi Kavya. I mean, there is no, I mean, they were, when you look at Kavyas, they are Ramayana and Mahabharata. And the question is, uh, is it Kavya in that sense? I mean, is it can it really be called Adi Kavya or are some of the other scriptures also in the nature of Kavya? So, for example, some of the Vedas are also recited uh, in a poetic sort of sense. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, the Vedas are not yeah. called Kavya. It's not called Kavya, but it's slightly confusing, but that's what it is. Right, right, right. And so, is this right to say Kavin, that? Inam, so that Kavi is a seer. Is a, there is a legend uh, in the beginning, right? Where they say Ramayana is definitely Adhikavya. Okay. And that is appropriate to call it uh, Adhikavya because 
the word shloka comes with uh, valmiki right, right. with that story where the two birds are there copulating mm-hmm. then the hunter shoots one and valmiki's expression comes out and then that is what he calls a shloka right and ramayana is the first composition of shlokas so in that sense it is definitely adikavya okay the um, the one other and and there there's been some discussion around this in the past i think we make a clear distinction between the valmiki ramayana uh, narrates rama as a man who transitions to a king and the way they describe it is he is subsequently are worshiped as god they don't so it's as if in his lifetime there was no recognition of godhood a divinity i mean i think just the word god is also a bit wrong when when people use it so commonly uh, whereas in tulsidas and ramayana they uh, he is bhagwan right from the very beginning and many people in uh, in the storyline uh, know him as divinity or know him as god uh, so that's the distinction that they make in terms of uh, knowledge of divinity right from the word go whereas uh, in in valmiki this will be actually we probably take one step back and then come to this question in the sense ramayana is the original mm-hmm. and whoever is re-rendering he is re-rendering and he is saying that he is re-rendering valmiki ramayana only right is his experience but it's not as if he is trying to differ from valmiki ah neither tulsidas nor any other re-rendering they are loyal to valmiki but they are giving their own impression of what they understand from valmiki so let us say this avatar aspect is there this difference many people indicate mahabharata also say many people say that krishna is you know more human in mahabharata and more divine in bhagavata ha ah. but is it really so yes and no if you see ramayana there are rishis especially in the vanaparva there are rishis waiting for rama to come before ah. they take moksha now shavari is there jatayu is there uh-huh. rama has instantly given moksha to him then sampati so all these definitely indicate the divinity of ramayana otherwise how can he give moksha to anybody right so it's not as if ramayana of valmiki does not explicitly take cognizance of rama's divinity but it's definitely not in the shape in which the re-renderings indicate right in the sense you look at it from the beginning this is how it is and all that the beginning of ramayana if you see it is most definitely the best way to describe an avatar what uh, the conversation between valmiki and narada ha huh. valmiki says all the kalyana gunas all the divine qualities and says is there any possible human with all these qualities it is impossible nearly because all these are divine qualities in humans you are probably going to see one or two qualities but all these are impossible to see in a human then narada says there is so you are actually saying all the divine qualities present in one human obviously that is going to be an incarnation there is nothing to debate it right right but do you all this kind of terminology right it's an avatar it is not an avatar this is more jugglery of words rather than but explicitly taking that the divine has in its all forms or all full presence manifested into rama that has been quite clear in valmiki ramayana okay okay so it's probably tulsidas has got a more explicit recognition in that sense uh, and the terminology that later developed yeah yeah it's also probably a function of the age in which tulsidas lived uh which is this this is during the lifetime of akbar so a large influence of uh, complete unquestioned obedience to god and those those ideas are already there uh, amongst the ruling classes probably to make things more explicit to the common man saying yes this is what divinity is kind yeah. of thing yeah yeah probably so there is and while it was not in this video there is also uh and i i again fairly say that i have i have only read modern versions of ramayana uh, of various kinds of uh, 
uh, I've not had the courage to pick up any of those volumes and read through them in any great detail. Uh, but there is a lot of debate that I've heard and I've spoken to people as well. There, there, there have been some confusing uh, elements over here and I thought maybe I'll also use this opportunity to ask those of you. Um, so there are this, um, I mean, two things that in my mind stood out amongst a lot of these conversations that I gathered from the past. One was it talks about the nature of Sita. Uh, and there is this whole description that Sita in the Tulsidasa Ramayana is very subservient uh, and is meek uh, and is, is kind of victim. Whereas in the Valmiki Ramayana and many other versions of Val uh, Ramayana, she is very assertive. She is not meek by any standards. Uh, she is in many ways a good equal uh, to her husband. Uh, and it's a portrayal of an extremely courageous, strong woman. It's not a meek person that needs protection. Which is why, and the subsequent comment in which lots of commentators talk about it, is that the whole idea of Lakshman Rekha is, is, is in the more newer versions or newer renderings of the Ramayana, which is Tulsidas and around them. Whereas the older ones, which is from the Valmiki Ramayana, Lakshmana doesn't need to do a uh, Lakshman Rekha. And I mean, Sita is quite strong in herself. Strong or not, she was definitely taken away. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, Lakshman Rekha is not there in Valmiki. Obviously, it's a later, it's a, it's their Tulsidas rendering. There are other renderings also which have the Lakshman Rekha. So there was, there, was, there was one other bit that sort of, uh, which I didn't expect, which somebody said to me, said that in the Tulsidasa Ramayana, there is, a, uh, there is one part of the Ramayana which describes Ram's exile from Ayodhya. And, and his first day of exile is to uh, Rishi's ashram. Uh, and when he goes there, he served fresh meat. Uh, so because he's a Kshatriya, he served in the Rishi's ashram meat. Now, what took me by surprise was this description that says, and I've not found, I've tried to locate it uh, without any success uh, in various English translations of Tulsi Dasa Ramayana. What was described is when he goes to that Rishi's ashram, he's served with uh, meat, which is of a newborn calf. Uh, so it's not any other man. I mean, it is cow meat uh, and a newborn uh, cow. I was a bit surprised because Tulsi Dasa obviously comes in a much later period. So I can imagine much earlier renderings being a little more neutral to uh, beef eating. But I'm, I was fairly certain in my head that by the time it came to Tulsi Dasa's Ramayana that... That, that was not thinkable. <laughs> correct. So there, there was this clear understanding that you don't eat a cow. But here, there was this person who was asserting that in the Tulsidasa Ramayana, maybe there are versions of Tulsidasa Ramayana. Again, I don't know maybe the, the version that I picked didn't have it and there are some other versions out there. But I thought I'll also ask that uh, if there is any... Frankly, I'm not aware of this. I, am, I will need to... Uh, but I'll... Now that this topic is there, it's important. I'll check this. Yeah, yeah. Um... So that was, uh, there were they were some one or two other, I mean, there were some minor points about how many wives. If it is Valmiki, let us say, you can argue uh, about the interpretation, the meaning from Sanskrit and all that. If it is an Audi, I think it would be fairly straightforward as a term. Yeah, yeah. Unless the word is lost in these two, three centuries or something. It's yeah. very unlikely. We'll need to check that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there is... Uh, which again, I sort of hear some people say it, but in the Valmiki Ramayana, the real Sita is abducted. Whereas yes. in the Tulsidasa Ramayana, at the time of the Agni Pariksha, when Lakshman challenges, Lakshmana challenges Rama, he says that actually the real Sita is protected by Agni and uh, the Returning one who is abducted is not a real Sita. So this is where the divine versus the human aspect uh, difference clearly comes out. So in Tulsi, it is very clearly divine. It's not a human acting there. So the uh, so Sita was given into Agni and then she had to be retrieved from Agni. So there is an Agni Pariksha and all that. So it's not exactly a Pariksha. She 
you are doing it to retrieve whatever you have given right they they were they were also in uh, but valmiki is more important for us to understand in fact uh, and this is what uh, is also a subject of a lot of contention right so is there an agni pariksha in valmiki in the first place yeah yeah cuz uh, and here is where the human dynamic is more clearly understandable from valmiki ramayana firstly she is taken away by ravana right uh, then rama goes he does all the work then he kills ravana then sita is freed lanka is freed then vibhishana is established there sita is freed and then she is told that now you are free you can go wherever you want why is this done in the first place and then why does she choose to get into the fire and this is the point on which lot of you know this liberal criticism also comes and all that but that is also establishing <laughs> what they don't see now ravana took her away after he is killed somebody else will take her away what exactly is her will established right as an individual she has yeah. her choice and that choice is established through this now she is formally given her freedom but she has formally made her choice she is saying that i am coming with you not out of compulsion now i can't just make a empty promise by saying that i like you hmm. because now now that you have freed me i might actually just follow you by compulsion or just because you are my husband beyond all this she has actually demonstrated her will to go with him not as a you know compulsion or anything right right she has herself made an explicit choice and demonstrated she can go to any extent to be with him rama has demonstrated his will to be with her at any cost through the pre- previous months he has searched for her he has done that war he has freed her now she also has is demonstrating her will through the attack right it's now this whole thing becomes a is spun into a very different direction of you know the chastity all that bullshit frankly there is no such a uh, discussion that comes at that point hmm. because whatever would have happened rama has the you know culture to not discuss it because whatever would have happened under the captivity is beyond her control right so none of that gets discussed what gets discussed is her choice right and which is how an ideal man is supposed to conduct which is an important distinction that you make is i mean because i'm coming from i mean i consider myself a fairly liberal sort of a person and rama is a character at least in my head always a sort of and they're conflicting ideas but one one of my ideas which conflicts with another idea was that he was this exactly as he described it he was this person who sort of had a certain view of his wife which is not appropriate uh with with which imposes some sort of primacy over um that you have not whether forcibly or otherwise not slept with another man uh and that primacy for sexual sort of fidelity uh so to say uh and what you just describing is that it's almost a bit of a non issue in the valmiki ramayana uh it may have been true but it's not no 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 no, no okay so in the episode after ravana's killing and rama and sita traveling back there is absolutely absolutely no mention of any such thing right that is very clear right that is a non issue between rama and sita that becomes an issue much later in the uttarakhanda where people start the people true. of ayodhya start true true so that's a different episode yeah, yeah and 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 to my mind i mean that that's stood so when i when i when i look at other historical figures i mean in my head the contrast was so stark so i don't know if you are aware of again it's fictional depiction and there's not so much story of chingis khan i mean he's seen as a 
scoundrel or a crook otherwise, but there, there are other narrations of Chinggis which are very favorable to him. And one of them is that uh, he's in love with this girl and he's married to her and she gets abducted by an enemy and she spends months with that enemy. Uh, and finally, when Chinggis is able to retrieve her, uh, she's pregnant with the enemy's child. Uh, and that child is one of Chinggis's favorite sons. Um, so, in to me, it it, it felt so large-hearted uh, in one way. Uh, is that it is not his wife's fault uh, that she gets subjected to this, and he doesn't hold it against her. He doesn't hold it against the against the child. And Shastra also says that right, Vijay and Chetra, whatever child comes out, ultimately it belongs to that new father, wherever who is true of the husband. So true. that that holds here also. Of course, in Ramayana, it's not that relevant, but yeah, Rama not only doesn't hold, I mean, that topic never comes. True, true. And so therefore, the, the, I mean, the hypocrisy in the debate is this focus on fidelity when, when you, or, or the fact, I mean, exactly. the people seem to miss out, which is not, even not there. True. Exactly. As you're describing, there is no such focus in the Valmiki Ramayana. It may have been in the Tulsi Dasa Ramayana, which is much later. That is also now, not there from what you are saying because that whole topic is eliminated by putting the divine there. Right, right. That is yeah. the approach that Tulsi takes, Tulsi Goswami right. takes to remo- remove this whole. Right. So there also he is not getting into that fidelity on that topic. Right. And right. his way of removing that and bringing focus to Rama and divinity is not treating it as episode. I understand. So what you are saying is that actually even in Tulsi Dasa Ramayana, there is no question mark over fidelity, uh, etc. So Tulsi Das narrates it differently in terms of that she is protected by Agni and there is a fake Sita. And when she enters the Agni, the fake one disappears and the true one comes out. Um, and in Valmiki, it's a non-issue. There is not even a discussion about something like this. Um, so so it, it, it is so stark. And, and it is tragic in my mind that in popular imagination, this is, uh, I mean, and yes, I would even myself, in my mind, it was one of one of the big issues. Uh, that's why would Rama have to? <laughs> yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, ultimately, she's a victim. So why will you victimize a victim even further? Uh, exactly. so, uh, and if you do it, how are you exactly an ideal human? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and as I was saying, there was this this one character of Rama which is portrayed in common parlance. Uh, I mean, they, they are priests and they are people who would think of non-liberals also will say things like this. Yeah. Whereas on the, uh, on, the, on the other hand, I have heard, uh, so I don't know if you have sort of semi-mystical guy called Rohit Arya and I heard his description of Rama. And he describes him as Naravagara and which is basically man and a tiger and a man's skin kind of description. Which to me sounds like a very different description from what you see on television serials. So he's not a smiling, nice guy looking benevolent at all times. He's capable of being extremely violent at the drop of a hat if needed. Uh, otherwise, he might be a complete peace with himself. But this is the description, therefore, from as he was narrating it in the Valmiki Ramayana, is not a man that you will trifle with. So he might be a very peaceful guy, very kind looking. And you don't trifle with him only because he's king or he's a prince. It is just that he is capable of such extreme violence that you don't want to try your tricks over him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is probably the truer nature of Rama. And so then you can sort of see how it's it's true, but I wanted to ask if that. You, if we see all the qualities, the full spectrum that is described right in the beginning. Yeah. Yes, he's valorous and all that, but there is also a code of conduct. Yeah. He can tolerate abuse. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he would apply disproportionate force only where it calls for. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, there is also a code of conduct where you don't use force on people who are weak. Yeah. Even if they abuse, you tolerate it. Yeah, yeah. So, Rama is a very Shanta Swabhava, all this, that holds. Now, where the war comes, it's a different thing. There also, it's not his word speaking, right? So, it's uh, action speaking. Yeah. His uh, bow and <laughs> arrows that are speaking. 
but it's probably also not one of those guys that you will just have casual conversations with his personality is such that it's probably not a very approachable personality he might be a very nice guy but it's not he's approachable nice not reproachable yeah 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 so you can't just trifle i mean you can't trifle with yeah obviously he's not your equal that you you know play prank on these things and and that not your equal is not necessarily because of royalty uh it's because that, of the as a personality he is yes yeah yeah and so it's a very different personality as portrayed when you look at television serials and bollywood uh we do a great injustice to a man yeah somebody an extremely lofty man let us say why would anybody uh, any common man like us go and you know talk rubbish with him yeah, yeah. in what capacity yeah. to what end yeah No, in today's world, you will find that people are happy to talk rubbish with anybody. <laughs> so that, that's because you are not taught that culture is not taught. Yeah, I mean it's it's a matter of our character that we don't do loose talk with certain people of certain stature and all that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Ramana itself, Rama says when that Shubhankha episode happens, ah, eventually Rama tells Lakshmana, "See, this is how it happens if." pranks go wrong we should make fun only with our equals ha huh. because eventually they they do make fun of her shorpanaka right. right and then she gets angry and all that happens right right it's not that she should take to extreme steps because of that but then rama kind of tells it in some versions so right. <laughs> we have to you know make fun only with our equals right right, right. so there is um, there, there was one other thing that caught my attention uh and we have this general description of ravana i mean he is i mean in some versions i mean we also call him sundar ravana in the southern ramayana versions uh, so extremely handsome guy very knowledgeable outstanding leader outstanding ruler yes. um, so all of that he has got one big deficiency which is his ego but he is very often described and all of that many of us have heard all of we have also heard that he is a great shiv bhakta uh in the sense that he has also the audacity to when he goes to mount kailash ask shiva for his wife uh, and shiva doesn't mind it because he is such a great bhakta but 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 that's the nature but we hear of uh ravana's relationship with divinity in the sense of uh with 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 shiva this narrative says that uh, in the tulsidas version apparently that when he is going to battle with rama and i've heard the other way as well that rama does exactly that is that he worships durga to be able to defeat uh, rama and there is also the other version where rama for 9 days which is the navratri calls upon the devi divinity to be able to vanquish ravana so that version i read this is the first time i actually am hearing ravana worshiping the devi uh, so i was a bit surprised but it also creates a slightly different perspective because when we think of durga when we think of the devi we think of her not necessarily in the sort of the shaiva vaishnava classification we think of her as as a crossover between both those and, and here was ravana now worshiping durga and durga particularly is what he, it's not just kali or some somebody like that he is worshiping durga to to draw that energy and durga is this special deity a special form of shakti who is armed by various devtas so in that sense when he worships De- durga he is also calling upon the energy from the devtas to defeat uh, rama so that it it sounded it sounded like a very interesting thing but again i wanted to check with you if if there is any truth to something like that and what's your view on ravana being a devi worshipper as well i don't know but it's not impossible but more than that what is the path that ravana has taken in his life it's more a path of tapas right he is not a yagna guy in fact we have to the contrary that he has gone after rishis who have been doing yagnas all these things right. yeah in the uttar ramayana there is also indication where he actually indrajit meghanada does the yagnas and ravana criticizes him yeah so yeah. you should not be doing yagnas which please devatas you need to do tapas please only brahma and rudra 
you should not strengthen your enemies by doing these yagnas right right so his path is kind of indicated there it's nothing to do with shaiva vaishnava shakta kind of distinctions mm-hmm. that i agree so it, it sort of was surprising when i heard that he he worships durga to to be able to defend. bhakta also is like is he genuinely how much of a bhakta he is all this is debatable right now going by versions or in fact we know the other side also uh, something like we he goes he when he stops by the kailasa he sees shiva's power and then he starts worshiping right it's not as if his heart automatically melts for shiva or anything it's not right. that he is a devotee at heart or anything he is just doing it because now he has seen the power of the other guy he is appeasing right right that's also one version right uh ravana as a shiva bhakta yeah it's a quite a popular version but not exactly 100% accurate he has been worshiping shiva but how much of a genuine bhakti it is let us say the kind of bhakti arjuna has for krishna right, right. nothing of that sort you, you will find or bali for towards vishnu right right that we won't find in ravana so there is this, there is this other interesting facet that again not part of the video but sort of has always popped in my head is that uh, ravana is seen as a rakshasa so though is pulastya yes. descendant he is seen as a rakshasa because his mother was a rakshasi like i said yes um, and so he, he he therefore seems to have come from some sort of matrilineal lineage very takes more from his mother's legacy than his father's legacy to describe because he is he is not so easily described as a brahmin he is more described as a rakshasa uh, because it's not as much about being a brahmin or not because right. uh, so when you talk of the prajapati pulastha prajapati his son uh, vishravas right. then uh, his son is vaishravana ravana right. is also vishravas son kubera is also his son right this is not exactly about the brahmanya or anything the varna all this whole thing is not really applicable at when not entirely inapplicable but that's not the dynamic operating there he is a descendant of a prajapati so right. in that capacity he is regarded very high in the entire scheme of things in the so creation you see that in a bit of a contrast so there is this ravana which is son of a, a brahmin and a rakshasi so there was what i was in my head there was always this so there is this ravana and his characterization and then there is vyasa who is parashara and a fisherman's fisherwoman's son and he is always seen as a brahmin he is not he doesn't derive he is never seen as fisherwoman's son so here is a rakshasi's son who is seen more as rakshasa and a fisherwoman's son is not seen as a fisherwoman's son he is seen as a so It, it is no here is where the mix up comes it's not as if vyasa is treated as a brahmin anywhere oh is it he is a rishi oh. so this when you talk of rishi that whole varna thing is gone right he is yes, not even yes. seen as part of this right? he is seen as something beyond all this yes yes so he comes and goes at different uh, places in different ways all these things it's not as if he is even treated as a vipra i mean there there are brahmins that could Sudama, all these people are treated as Brahmins. Drona is treated as a Brahmin. Ah, ah. We don't see exactly similar treatment, right? Vyasa is always put one pedestal up, okay. one level up. That is not the case with Ravana in many places, because he is leave the Rakshasa or Brahman all these things. For fundamentally, he is a king. Right. So he has dealt with other people as a king, as right. a king of Lanka. so that is the dynamic applying there now there is a king that fellow is a bad fellow so people have their own fears towards them or their own you know disgust towards them whatever that feeling is what is coming it's not as if because he is rakshasa or anything or because he is a brahmin or anything it's typically it's your character that is rewarded or you know <laughs> that is what attracts or disgusts people about us or character yeah. position can only properly uh, probably attract people or uh, you know scare people but when it comes to the individual it is the character right right so when ravana messes with kartavirya and then he shown his place 
Please put thrown into the jail. Then Pulasthi Brahma comes himself, and then obviously that respect, friendship, all these come because of his position. Saying, "Okay, you are descendant of such a great guy. Now yeah, I'll treat you with due affection and all that." But as a character, he has not shown himself very respect worthy in that episode. There are other episodes. Let us say when he fights with the devatas, all these things. These are not things where he derives respect, attracts respect. There are other episodes. His tapas is there, or for instance, the first encounter between Hanuman and Ravana. First encounter between Rama and Ravana. They do take cognizance of his, uh, you know, brightness and all these things, but it is overshadowed by his other qualities. Right. So it's now he is treated as a rakshasa, or uh, he is simply treated as another king. Rama, what Rama talks to Ravana is simply seeing him as a king of uh, Lanka. Right. nothing else i mean it's lot of <laughs> this baggage that modern baggage that we carry in terms of identities and all these things which don't actually reflect into that epic it's more reading things into the epic rather than reading out of it right 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 so it's uh, it's very really useful there, there there is and i was always aware that the tulsidasa ramayana stops at uh, the coronation of rama uh and then there were other versions of ramayana oh sorry the valmiki ramayana stops at the coronation of ramayana yeah but uttar ramayana is there i mean lot of there is debate around this uttar ramayana is part of ramayana it's not part of ramayana right right but uh, yeah but if you say that ramayana is sankhya vidya if you say that ramayana is 24000 shlokas hmm. that 24000 includes the uttar ramayana oh it does And so, would you would you would you say that the Uttarakhanda is part of the Valmiki Ramayana also, or is it sort of? It is. It is. Now, at what part people uh, treat only the six Kandas and not the seventh Kanda? This is uh, people have gone both ways on that. Okay. But if you are to take it as twenty four thousand, it would include everything. Right. Right. The so six total up to twenty four thousand. Right. So the so the story of Uh, love kosha of sita's exile the fisherman story living with valmiki in his ashrama etc is, is all, all that is there in uttarakhand in fact a lot of these stories like uh, ram ravana going all over to bali to all these things are there in uttarakhand only okay okay and uh, the other stories there is uh, there are a lot of dharmashastra things also where there is a dog that goes to rama I mean, the post coronation of Rama, whatever things are there, are there in the Uttarakhand only. Right, right, right. In fact, that Shambuka episode, all that. I mean, people tend to shy away from it, so they say Uttarakhand is later interpolation, interpolation, all those things. Right, right. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's not as if we have to see it separately. It's uh, it is it is. Uh, I mean, we in India specifically know of Rama very clearly, and there's there's a lot of respect in his viewed as a god, divinity, etc. What I've also noticed is that the legend of Rama is actually not just limited only to India and not only to Southeast Asia. So Rama is actually spread out in in, in various parts of of Europe and the Middle East. Uh, and there are elements of the Ramayana in in various local legends. So he he is clearly a much uh, much 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 greater king than we yes. think of him. Uh, we tend to think of him only in the context of Bharata, but he is actually much beyond that. Yeah, and uh, others also have their own Ayodhyas. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So Southeast Asia, many of yeah, us it's, it's well known. Yes. what we what we don't notice is it's also part of the legend in the older legend in uh, in 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 europe uh, so it may not be western europe but more sort of, sort of central europe uh, is part of some of the legend underlying legend in the middle east uh, so the 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 legend he he obviously is ruling across in all those regions his his rule is not limited only to Uh, okay. as we see it today um in contrast um while they talk about yudhishthira ruling the world but yudhishthira's legend or, or even to that extent krishna's legend is fairly limited to bharatavarsha and some of it goes to southeast asia 
but therefore it's quite it does seem to be uh, that that is a story of a smaller kingdom and their impact is not as widespread as rama now rama is much older um, and bharata knows of its ramayana right it, it narrates ramayana as a part of it so 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 it does seem that uh, so when you look at the more popular sort of uh, narrative Uh, the modern indian narrative i won't call it liberal or not but the modern indian narrative is finds lots of fault in him finds lesser fault strangely in krishna uh, and finds krishna more endearing uh, and a little more critical of rama whereas it seems to me that the historical rama had uh, had much greater impact in the historical world. yeah that is uh... I mean, you can argue either way because people tend to say Rama is Vigraha and Dharma, and Krishna has actually been cutting corners all over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. another. But yeah, I mean, Rama as the perfect human, the ideal human, that is, it's uh, spread much wider, and which is probably also why you see much more symbolism in Rama, and uh, which is what also. makes it mahabharata it's very clear it's all a human narrative with a spiritual meaning astronomical meaning uh, ramayana also mixes some other aspects which we are still not clear what they are unless we you know probably unravel a lot of layers of it so one other question that i would i mean to in this i think you have to go to the other talk shortly uh, but one one other question uh, that i wanted to sort of again i said this at various public forums as well including on some sangam talks and received fair bit of criticism for it and very happy to do that it's all a learning process in my head it's of not course. one way or the other uh, this comparison between rama and krishna um, as individuals and more when you take a woman's perspective um, so if you and i pose this very often as a trick question and i see how people react to it so when he say that would you like would you like to be rama's wife or krishna's wife and thing is rama is very dedicated to his one wife and krishna is is dedicated to all the wives that he has how many yeah, he has done justice to everybody so <laughs> justice to everybody but most women will say that i want to be rama's wife so i don't know very few pick krishna in this and then you explain it a little further you say that they look at rama's wife she had a miserable existence uh and of course you use a normal narrative of agni pariksha etc not the one that you were describing but you see that look he put her through fire he he doubted her he he did not take into account that she was a victim he treated her like this ultimately i don't some dhobi said something so he chased her out of his uh, whatever he gave her up whatever you call it but ultimately the factual bit together with her husband correct he is driven away krishna's wives loved him all of them uh, and nobody had any such complaint i mean he didn't care what anybody said about any of his wives uh, he even had a relationship with radha which which is not a wife uh, probably went on to be somebody else's wife uh, when you when you look at that then how would you like to be and a lot of women will say that actually i might prefer being krishna's wife than rama's because being rama's wife is your wife to a great king but not necessarily a great husband whereas krishna is you're not the wife of a king but you're a wife of a great husband so that's not what sita says about yeah, rama yeah. she that, says that's not the question husband. that i wanted to ask from her own perspective he was always the ideal husband the best one that could ever be so that there is nothing much to compare in that sense but krishna's situation was very different krishna's life did not go through a personal crisis the way rama's life did yeah yeah there he lost his kingdom then the wife then you know eventually he separated all those that's not how krishna's life goes at the philosophical level these are two different views right uh, rama is purusha of sankhya and krishna is ishvara of yoga so there the way krishna is associated with maya would be very different from the way rama is associated with prakriti right Right. So, in that sense, the way the story proceeds also would be very different. So, when you say Purusha Sankhya, what is it that you mean? Uh, if you could just explain that a bit. Uh, 
that is where this whole 24000 is what i was saying because rama is uh, or ramayana is said to be a sankhya vidya so okay. the gayatri is 24 letters 24000 shlokas of ramayana map to the 24 gayatri letters which is a sankhya vidya and then uh, rama sita relation which are the maulikardhas so purusha prakruti samyoga vyoga they come together they separate this whole the maulikardhas of sankhya all these are directly visible in the oh, big scheme of ramayana story right so you can very much see rama as the purusha of sankhya he is initially bound by bound by prakriti then he is liberated by prakriti all these things and krishna anyway lot of people know as yogeshwara all these things it's repeatedly asserted there in gita and several other places in the mahabharata so it's very easy for people to see him as a yogeshwara and all that yeah he is the ishwara of yoga Right, right, and 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 clearly, yoga is a very different tradition from Sankhya. I mean, it, it, there's some so, connected. Yes and no, but uh, Sankhya is more the Jnana Marga and all that. Yoga is giving you the techniques to realize yeah. Sankhya only. So ultimately, what it is revealing to you is the knowledge of Purusha and uh, true, true. But uh, here you are seeing a more liberated man, whereas in Ramayana you are seeing. the man bound by prakriti and eventually liberated in Maha, in krishna story you are seeing somebody who is liberated from the beginning right 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 so in krishna that sense any misery in him yeah he krishna is always aware that he is divine he is always beyond all the bounds from the beginning yeah yeah and so therefore if i were to sort of restate my sort of conversation over there maybe for a lot of the women the the, the one way to look at it is uh, is to look and find the what is closer to the truer ramayana is not just what is there in namachitra katha or the popular narrative uh, is that for rama it there was a non issue sex was a non issue it it did not crop up in the conversation uh, he he was completely his wife's husband uh and there was no doubt uh, about it uh even in the tulsidasa where there is the agni pariksha it is not as if there is doubt but he tulsidasa he wanted to circumvent this whole topic itself that is why he took that divine plot yeah and, and so tulsidasa also describes it like that we tend to sort of overlook the fact that he describes it as uh, mayavi sita going into the fire and the real sita coming out so that is the essence of tulsidasa's agni pariksha also uh and we tend to miss that out so he is and and there is no um so it comes down to then the uh, uttrakhanda is that whether there is that dhobi complaint any asses why uh, which is where again if we see epic as pedagogic right i mean it is telling a story so what is the point whether he lived and he died whatever happened happened yeah. it is for us the lesson is what is compiled for us whether it is ramas episode then subsequent episode it's not as if one dobi says it and this whole thing happens the spy that gathers information he comes back and says this is what people have been widely saying yeah and this is creating a credibility crisis for us right which is when rama makes that decision now is that the right thing is the question can you punish one innocent uh, woman for the sake of but that is where the you know the importance of blemishless character or personality of the leader is coming out so prominently there it's not about what suffering you take but you definitely need to ensure that there is absolutely absolutely zero stain on you right which is what rama holds up himself to without which he doesn't think he has the credibility to rule to govern Right. <laughs> Look at the leaders today, and that is the comparison you got to do. People often take to what happened to Sita, but yeah, I mean they have taken that punishment because they have seen their children as so. Today, let us say there are parents, old parents, and they have been accused or abused by the their grown-up children. What do the parents do? They are ready to take it up. Yeah, a lot of them they put up with a lot of shit from the grown-up children yeah. because. they are ultimately invested they love their children yeah 
in their well-being they can suffer themselves that is what the parents do and that is exactly what as king and queen rama and sita have done why are we unable to see that ideal as an ideal because we stop seeing them as uh, the parents the king and queen we start seeing them as household individuals yeah and and to sort of just ask that a bit further uh, are you saying that sita accepted it, it is not as if she was i mean and nobody wants to chase be chased away from their husband or their home so you don't have to like it but actually there is a choice that is involved where she says she also realizes that life is more comfortable i'm happier with my husband but also accepts or actively chooses uh, as it is accept because you have no other choice but she maybe she had a choice to either say yes or no to rama and chooses to go to the forest for the larger good of the kingdom is that what you would think no it's not shown that she had a choice okay it was rama's decision as a king and she avoids it okay so she is consulted or anything so is her choice not taken into account but because, because then that would be some kind of criticism of rama would not be because he is the man there in the position competent authority to make the decision i mean you can consult with your uh, parties everybody in the court and say is this punishment acceptable acceptable to you but that's not how courts work right, right. right? There, there is a guy who is making a decision there and is that also specifically there in the valmiki ramayana is it not there in the valmiki ramayana meaning uh this whole episode of how sita is asked to leave the palace and go into exile yeah, that is there so there is also a small precursor where she expresses her will to go to forest and all that ha huh. and then uh, this news comes to rama and uh, he has to make a call he says that yeah we'll have to leave her okay and then she sent her so initially this she is probably going to see stay there for some time or less then she eventually realizes then then there itself that she is not getting audience with rama because she has already been right as to leave all that right now is that episode can that be different we know that that's not it won't be different in any official scheme we forget that as an official scheme and bring in a personal dynamic which is where a lot of misunderstanding comes no official system actually gives audience in that sense no official system actually con- does a consultation in these matters the decision comes top down and as the king he is the one to make the call there and he had to make a call so so another way of looking at it rather than looking at this episode in isolation of of a husband treatment of his wife it, it is more how somebody who believes that rules must be followed uh is that yes people all his life so when he accepts dashratha's word to go to the forest it is also an acceptance of the same principle so he is down to the principle willing to put himself through it uh and in acceptance of the principle because that is his duty as king is willing to put his wife through it who he uh, he's not getting rid of his wife because he doesn't love her or he he likes some other doesn't see her different from him right he knows that his word and her conduct won't be any different his yeah. word and her action are exactly the same they always align so so it is in that sense an act of a big act of sacrifice uh, as against an act which should draw criticism uh, somebody for which who you have de- de- destroyed a whole empire and got her back why would you want to send her away yeah 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 and so 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 probably the more appropriate way to see it is for a lot of the women is that the husbands are not kings and they don't need to take those kinds of calls exactly um but if that guy happens to be a king now there is a modi who has never lived with his wife <laughs> so yeah. it happens right right and that guy can also be an ideal ruler yeah yeah and there it is the ruler that is acting it's not the husband that is acting and it is as a husband he makes the sacrifice of his of his rights as a husband in in favor of his he uh, leans in favor of his duties as king over his rights as duties as an individual yes as an rights as an individual uh, so he he sacrifices duty also in fact his duty as an individual is to ensure she is not going through all that 
yeah yeah so his duty as a king has uh, overruled that duty as an individual right so it it is a poison pill that he takes uh, so it's not that is no easy choice yeah and this is a general sentiment i mean so how do you deal with public sentiment is really the question yeah in public sentiment yes or either you leave the kingdom and uh, you know deprive the kingdom of the ideal king or you take it and you pay what you have to pay through your own life or maybe one way of putting it is rather than i mean i i would say that is to rule justly is to say that we'll rule with certain and subject to certain rules and if society believes that the king is doing something that is contrary to rule um then how does the king respond is there some way to communicate to society that it is not contrary um and so therefore how does it respond in that circumstance and if a sacrifice is what it takes uh it is in the nature of a bit of a supreme sacrifice uh, when when that is a nature relationship um so it's very hard actually if you have a romantic strong romantic relationship with anybody it is extremely hard to cut it out um so it is in that another party at fault yeah 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 and 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 both end up being miserable uh, when when something like that happens so it's not as we is very happy to do it honestly uh, <laughs> he didn't get anybody <laughs> yeah and and so that is that is just the that is his cross to bear i mean if i were using a christian uh, he took it as yes it is rama's cross to bear and he bears it for the good of humanity um so that's but thanks there i have, I have many other questions on the ramayana uh, whether whether how bali is dealt with and things like that but maybe yeah we can probably speak some other time any anything that you would like to add shankara on the video that i shared generally yeah i mean the general picture is the kind of contrast we try to bring and all that but And they never themselves saw those things, whether it is Vishnuadha, Murla, or Tulsi Goswami. Anybody, nobody saw himself as putting a counter perspective to Valmiki. They were all in their heart; they were loyal to Valmiki only. And this is where, when people try to draw a contrast, they need to understand that you know that is the original, and this is a re-rendering suited to their times. Ramayana is timeless. Tulsi is not timeless, or Vishnuadha is not timeless. Murla is not timeless. they are suited to their age and when they are suited to their age they will also bring down those elements in a way that their contemporaries understand better so which is how we need to see it rather than as a difference from valmiki is what we also try to harmonize in our discussion right in the same episode when these people have differently narrated it their goal is still the same right they are trying to give the same message maybe they have removed some of the elements uh, in terms of humanity or in terms of astronomical but they have brought in other elements they thought they were more relevant let us say in terms of bhakti in terms of understanding divinity and things like that or that's how i would see any re-rendering right right so it's more it's more how you understand it in a different cultural context and and probably that's what you're saying is is the class is narrating it where bhakti has become more prominent bhakti of certain kind which means yeah exactly but the means surrendering yourself and in that sense he would also show sita at her heart surrendering to her husband rather than you know it's a it's not exactly a anti feminist position it is just that he is showing the heart full full with love and all those things right right i mean i i think one needs to be i think it will be very lucky if you have extended strong romantic relationships but anybody who has even been in a short romantic relationship whether it is real romance or sometimes you just imagine that you have a romantic relationship <laughs> but you are completely subservient to that person at that point in time uh there is a mutual surrender it's not unidirectional uh, so anybody who relates back to that own personal experience uh knows what surrender is and 
and i think when when we say bhakti it is it is that kind of think of yourself in that sort of relationship with divinity and that's why that surrender happens so it's not surrender because you're being pressurized into surrender it's not exactly it's not a human kind of dominance or anything yeah yeah Well, thanks so much, uh, Shankara. I'm sure there'll be nice. catch up. More, more conversation. Explaining some of our scriptures. Me asking those probing questions. Yeah, but <laughs> just right. I am not formally a scholar or anything. So <laughs> <laughs> no. So it is scholarship is not necessarily acquired only yeah. from a university. No. Yeah, yeah, but you know, even in terms of let's say traditionally, I'm not learned in Ramayana. I have read Ramayana just like others have read. Yeah, yeah, and, and it it is when we when you talk about very typical scholars uh, in Indian tradition, uh, their ability to talk the modern language is limited. That's and the so challenge. Yes, communicate with our generation is, or even the younger generation is very limited because they talk so pure uh, that it is immediately. I mean, people reject it. Yeah, we'll need so many levels of translation to make it even you know <laughs> intelligible and probably. you know something you can relate to yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh, and i think that's where somebody like yeah that's where we come in <laughs> you and i can <laughs> perfectly <laughs> uh, just translating but thanks so much